Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Good morning. On last week's Big Data program, we discussed how businesses' data coping skills are being challenged by what? Well, it could be 10 terabytes or a petabyte of data volume. It could be faster than a speeding bullet data velocity and vaster than a Baskin-Robbins flavor list data variety. That's big data. Well, here's a reality check, kids. To be competitive today and seize the opportunity when a prospect or a deal is ready for the signing, businesses of all sizes, and that means everyone who's listening, have to be ready to make very, very, very quick decisions. And that puts a lot of pressure on your IT department, however big or small they are, to convert your raw data into smart information. How much time do they have? Seconds, not hours. Nobody's going to accept the answer. I'll get back to you later. Not going to happen. So I have a lot of questions. Who needs data so fast? Who decides which data to pull? Who decides the priority of a data request? Is it coming from the CEO, the CIO, the CFO, the CMO? Is it the sales guy or sales gal in the trenches? Or could it be the prospect or customer who's on the other end of the phone or sending you an urgent email? Is this a marketing or a sales-driven need? Are lives being saved? Okay. Where is big data stored? How do you get into it and organize it so you can use this new breed of high-speed processing that everybody's looking for? And what is the DNA of the people who are the game changers figuring out how to sift that data? Now, the answers to all of my questions, and I do have a lot of questions, point to what's known as in-memory computing and real-time data analytics. These are the new game-changing tools that can help you win big in the new, vast global marketplace. I looked this up online, and I saw that CIO.com says real-time computing is a new catch cry across the technology industry. The days of trapping information in a data warehouse for retrospective analysis are fading in favor of event-driven systems that can provide data and enable decisions in real-time. So... Let's get ready for breakfast, and let's take a close look at how you can shake, bake, and serve up your fresh data faster than Rachel Ray can whip up a new yummo sandwich recipe. And in about the time it takes for Emerald Lagasse to say, bam, I've invited a panel of experts to help me answer these, and I'm sure I'll have many more questions. So it's time to pour yourself a fresh cup of Joe, Earl, or OJ, based on your time zone and your appetite, and join us for Food for Thought on how you, too, can take a light-year leap into the exciting world of real-time 
business. Okay, enough about me. Let's get going with my special guests. I've got three of them. I'm going to bring two to you right now. First, I'm going to welcome Henry Morris. He's a senior VP for IDC's Worldwide Software and Services Research Groups. Dr. Morris started the Analytics and Data Warehousing Research Service at IDC, and he coined the term analytic applications way back in 1997, and that seems light years away. We'll get to know him more in a minute, but Henry Morris, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. What are you drinking? Well, I got some uh, coffee uh, near me. That's uh, that's good. And uh, I see you're into cooking. We'll talk about that later. We will. We're going to talk about <laughs> your blog. And let's bring on my second guest for this segment, Kevin Cox, Senior Director of SAP Marketing, is responsible for SAP HANA. And Kevin was named one of the top digital marketers of 2011 by B2B, the magazine for marketing strategists. Welcome, Kevin Cox. And what's in your coffee cup or teacup this morning, Kevin? Good morning, Bonnie. Um, I'm drinking Starbucks this morning, actually. And what flavor? What have you got in there? Oh, just the basics. I like it light and sweet. Okay, well, that's good to know. And I have to tell both of you that I'm drinking my usual tall, decaf, mocha skim with light whip. But today, the coffee part of that is an award-winning, smooth, full-bodied Sumatra decaf that's French roasted for a robust, full flavor. Yes, I'm reading the label, but I thought you ought to know. (laughs) So, Henry Morris, welcome to breakfast. Why don't you kick us off? I alluded to shaking and baking and serving up, and I'm looking here at your blog from June 14th. 2011, where you say, in memory, cooking up information fresh out of raw data. So why don't you get us into the kitchen and out of some trouble here, Henry? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and as you say, there's plenty of business reasons as to why you need to get uh, the latest information, uh, latest, latest data cooked into, built into information as quickly as you, uh, as you can. But, but think about this as, uh, I made this analogy with uh, cooking shows, Rachel Ray, Julia Child, they would uh, have uh, a very short amount of time to cook a very complicated dish. So what do they do? Uh, Julia Child uh, puts something in the oven and says, you know, I pre-cooked this stuff in advance. And by the end of the half hour, she's able to get the thing done, but she doesn't make this out of raw, real, uh, you know, uh, really fresh uh, ingredients. She has right. to cut corners. And that's really what we've been doing in the analytics area. We took fresh information, but then we, uh, we already pre-calced it uh, into a cube and now when people have to make decisions, they get the information right away, but it may be stale information, not the real fresh information that we need to be competitive. Okay. I want to know who really needs this information. Let, let me let you answer that, and then we're going to kick it over to Kevin Cox. Who, who is dying for this information? Is anybody dying without this information, Henry? In real terms, real people terms, who needs it? Well, uh, you, uh, people need uh, information, particularly if you have a very short window to uh, to make decisions, and particularly in the area of uh, you've mentioned about um, e-commerce, uh, digital marketing. You may have only a tiny window of time. After that, your opportunity is gone. So, as I said, you could take the pre-cooked stuff, but they might not mm-hmm. have the latest information that uh, will make give you the edge. Or, in memory, promises the fact the information is there, ready to be cooked into information just as you need it, and that might give you the edge to make the smarter offer to your customer. So we're talking fast food here. Now let's kick it over to Kevin Cox, Senior Director, SAP Marketing for HANA Marketing. What is HANA? What does that have to do with this topic, Kevin Cox? Well, HANA is an amazing new technology advance. Here we're combining online transactions with analytic applications. And you asked earlier, who needs this information? Everybody needs this information. 
managers who are running their companies, making strategic decisions. People out on the front line working with the customers need this information. They need to know what's going on, if there's any changes in the customer status, if they should be making them a special offer because the competitor is after them. Uh, we have a client, Metadata, that uses this uh, technology to do um, clinical trials for many different life science c- uh, companies. This enables their field personnel to have the latest information when they're working in the field with these trials. Um, and it goes to the customer, too. There's companies that are being able to take their information and productize it as a service back to the customer. Mm-hmm. We have a new, uh, we just released our new um, smart meter analysis application, which allows utilities companies to offer to their customers the ability to analyze their own power records so they can figure out how to save money and when to use electricity and when not to. So it's kind of everybody needs this information. Okay, now let's go to my, I think it was my third question, prioritizing. Now, I can imagine I'm I'm seeing these little mice jumping around this box with all the data and saying, what do we pull? Who needs it? Who's the top dog here? Whose priority is it? So does this come from, let's talk about mid-range businesses, okay? Let's start there. So is it a CEO? Is it a CIO, a CFO, a chief marketing officer? Is it the salesperson saying, quick, the deal's going to go south if I don't get that data to the prospect or the customer or or the partner in the next five minutes. So who is prioritizing this and how do we know how, how many data pulls can you do how fast within memory? Henry, you want to take that one? Absolutely. Uh, now, I, I would say it's uh, this is not really IT driven. It's driven by the, uh, the line of business because okay. uh, think about it. Uh, you um, uh, and that's typically what we've seen with business intelligence. It's the line of business that has the real need for this. Uh, you know, another example, you have uh, um, you know, sales and operations planning. Not a long-range plan. You have a current plan, but then a big order comes in. What do you have to do to juggle around the, uh, the production schedule so you can get this, uh, this order processed and the, uh, the product uh, you know, made to order and delivered as, as needed? Who's going to care about that? It's not the IT request. It's the guy in charge of the uh, uh, manufacturing operations who has to see that uh, the, uh, they're able to move the goods through the supply chain and get it to where it's needed. And uh, it's a line of business thing, and that's always been the case as to uh, people successful in uh, business analytics. It comes through the line of business, and they're really pushing for, uh, for uh, faster, uh, more accurate information. Interesting. Now, what did we do before? And let's talk historically. When was before, Kevin Cox? Was it last week? Was it last year? Was it in 1997 when Henry Morris was starting to examine analytic applications? How long ago was yesterday when we didn't have this in-memory computing and we didn't even – we dreamed about it, but we didn't have anything practical? Can you take us back in time a little bit? <laughs> Well, you don't really have to go too far back. Um, this is actually a technology that SAP has been developing for a number of years. It's not even the, uh, the first generation of it, actually. It's the third generation that we've um, delivered, and now it's really kind of achieved the maturity and the robustness. And uh, if you just looked at our, our financial results that were reported out in the market, we had our largest quarter ever, and a big part of that was SAP HANA. Customers have already identified the need for real-time business in their strategies. We you know, did a survey. You're going to hear a little bit about this later with the folks from Oxford Economics. About one-fifth of businesses already have adopted uh, real-time business techniques. A lot of it has been have, having to be built with um, from scratch, customs, and now we're starting to bring together with our business process applications and the technology to take it to the next level. 
If I have a, a comment, you asked also yeah, well, what was uh, where you know uh, what was the history? Where were we? I would say we're uh, for many organizations the the normal way of doing uh, analytics, especially what's called uh, OLAP, uh, online analytical processing, multi-dimensional stuff, is to get a uh, cube. The cube pre-calculates, pre-aggregates information so it's conveniently available uh, very quickly to people. But that's based on stale information. Mm-hmm. That is the dominant way that uh, analysis is being done today. So Kevin was talking about uh, in-memory as, uh, as an area that, uh, uh, that is uh, certainly uh, changing things. But the norm today for this kind of work is disk-based, pre-calculated, uh, pre-aggregated uh, uh, information. And uh, this is not like old history. This is the reality today for many organizations and many of these line of business managers that I talked about. Thank you, Henry. And thank you, Kevin. Would you believe we're almost up to the first break? My, it goes fast when you're having fun. We're cooking up information about in-memory computing. Stay tuned, and you're going to hear a lot more. We're going to bring on Andrew Tesler after the break. He's the senior economist at Oxford Economics, and we're going to talk about a report he did in collaboration with SAP called Real-Time Business, Playing to Win in the New Global Marketplace. So, Justin, take us out, and we'll be right back after the break. Refresh your coffee. I'm going to do the same with my mocha. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. No family can survive on two incomes anymore, let alone one. If you are supplementing your family's income working from home, then tune into The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio. Host Deb Bixler brings you sales tips, lead generation systems, and best business practices that guarantee direct sales success. Whether you're looking for a little extra cash or a career change, The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio, will give you proven systems that will work in your home business. The Cash Flow Show. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. Welcome back. I hope you refresh whatever you're drinking. I certainly did. I'm speaking to Henry Morris, the Senior VP for IDC's Worldwide Software and Services Research Groups, and Kevin Cox, Senior Director at SAP Marketing, responsible for HANA Marketing, and we met HANA in the last segment. We're going to... Guys, can you help me spread the table apart? We're going to put a leaf in. We're going to put one more chair and one more place setting. You ready, Henry and Kevin? Okay, absolutely. Okay, good. Okay, want to make sure. We're going to welcome Andrew Tesler, who is a senior economist at Oxford Economics. Oxford Economics, for those of you who don't know, is a leading economic modeling firm that's a joint venture with Oxford University. Andrew has 15 years of experience as an economist, including the New South Wales Treasury and Booz Allen Hamilton in Australia. And at some point, I'm going to ask him about his previous life as a law enforcement intelligent officer. Sounds absolutely fascinating. Andrew Tesler, welcome to Breakfast with Game Changers. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. Now you've got me scared. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. We're all relaxed Hello. around the breakfast table. Where are you calling Hello. in from, Andrew? Hello. Hi. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from London, England. Okay. Good, good. I like the accent. We're, we're always looking for a real global table full of experts. So talk to me a little bit about, let's see, we have a white paper here I'm looking at that was uh, called Real-Time Business, Playing to Win in the New Global Marketplace. You did in collaboration with SAP, and I'm just going to set this up with our listeners so they'll know this was a global survey of 525 C-suite executives in the industries of consumer products, high-tech oil and gas, and retailing, and it included a series of in-depth personal one-on-one interviews with senior executives in these industries. So, Andrew, tell us about the study and what did you find? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting study to do. We economists do actually have to go out and talk to people from time to time. So we surveyed these 500 businesses across the world and asked them about real-time business and how they were implementing it, um, what, what some of their challenges were, what some of the pluses and minuses were. And basically, I think a couple of the interesting um, top-level findings were that in terms of revenue gains from real-time business, they're around the 20% mark. Likewise, cost reductions for the business units we're talking about, around 20%. So those were quite, you know, interesting sort of results. But I think the other interesting finding coming out of this survey is that something like 30% of firms we talked to had actually implemented real-time. Um, there's still plenty of room for firms to implement these kind of systems. Mm-hmm. What size companies? I see the 525 C-suite executives and I see the industries, but I don't see company size. Can you clue us in on that, please, Andrew? Yeah, so we're looking at companies which are the larger um, sort of businesses, business units with uh, an annual turnover in excess of about U.S. $250 million were included, okay. um, although the cutoff was a bit lower in uh, Latin America. 
Okay, interesting. I'm wondering, uh, I talked in the beginning how we were going to talk not just about LE, the large enterprise, but about the mid-range companies. So anybody, Henry, Kevin, Andrew, somebody jump in and tell me how applicable and how realistic is it for a mid-range company or even a small one that's starting to see this big data just flowing in and bursting at the seams. How practical is it for them to say, oh, in-memory computing, I've got to get that. Is it realistic for the smaller company or is it something they have to wait to grow up to grow into um kevin you want to take that one sure funny uh it really depends on the business's model if it's a business that runs or makes its you know uh profit selling information and manages lots of information and there are small and mid-sized businesses that do this mm-hmm. this is a great solution for them because it's going to allow them to take the data services that they're already selling and combine and enhance that with uh, analytical applications that can be uh, productized, like as I mentioned earlier, and sold and you know kind of sold back or sent to the customer. Interesting. Not okay. for every business, but definitely I think for those in the information intensive industries. Okay, Henry, I hear yeah, you. I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, just a, a thought uh, about uh, about this. You know the. Uh, the difficulty why uh, why analytics overall has been uh, started in the large enterprise uh, is the uh, the real uh, bottleneck, the real thing in short supply is skills, is talent, and uh, I think what's happening is I mean, you're already seeing this progression. So here's a new uh, technology getting this data in in memory, and now you're seeing applications uh, being built on top of that. As I understand, SAP has some applications on top of uh, HANA, for example. These are analytic applications, and then these things are moving into the cloud. Now, once they get into the cloud, uh, even a small Small medium enterprise. They don't have to have the staff on site. They can tap into a service that is available to them. They don't necessarily need the people to uh, manage the complexities of the uh, the data center for this. That opens up uh, this uh, opportunity to many more organizations. Think of the cloud as a consolidator of skills, and that's what uh, small medium enterprise uh, lack most uh, most of all as they try to move into this space. Interesting. Andrew, any thoughts on that since your yeah, survey I, was I at the example. higher end of companies? Any thoughts about, you agree with Henry about how small businesses could in the get, can get into the game? I, I, I certainly do. And I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a couple of background issues here too. I mean, we talked about, um, you know, 30% of companies actually implementing real time across the board. Um, only about a quarter, you know, say they're not interested. So there's a lot of planning going on out there. We asked firms about that too. You know, how many of you plan to implement these systems in the next five years? You know, so only about a quarter of people said, no, we've got no plans. But I think, you know, we also asked about ob- obstacles. And I think what stops a lot of people, um, particularly in the developing world, um, is, is to some extent the technology, but uh, more in North America where we ask people as well, it's the awareness, the knowledge, uh, the ability to communicate the benefits of real-time systems. That's a really important thing um, within any, any type of firm, large or small, and that's something that I think you know, is you know, so far the real obstacle to all firms. And there's nothing surprising in that because if you look back in history, it takes a long time for innovations to spread through the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, electricity is a good example. The Internet's another now, I have a question to ask that goes against my grain and the grain of this show. We're, we're not supposed to. I don't want anybody to get deep in the techno weeds, I call them. But I'm really curious, and I mentioned this in my intro. I gave a very crude image of little mice running around in a box saying, what, what data are we going to pick now? How does it work? Can somebody tell me in lay terms 
the physical description of what happens when you're putting the computing in memory. Where is it going? How is the data organized? Is it in a circle? Is it in rows? Is it in tables? Uh, Henry, I know you've studied this for many yeah. years. You want to give us a, 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 a peek into the world of in-memory computing and what is actually happening to make this possible? Well, uh, a couple of things. First of all, memory, uh, we're talking about uh, main memory or what's called RAM, random access memory that is uh, available. The, uh, uh, typically what we have been doing is uh, storing the uh, data in a database on disk. What we're doing is uh, we're taking the data and bringing this in, in memory. Now, what form it's, uh, it's in, I think the key thing is so that we can still run the same kinds of applications is to make it accessible through the same types of interfaces. But there are some tricks that are being done. Some folks may also have heard about columnar ways of uh, kind of twisting the data on its side and compressing the data that way so that let's say you have 10 terabytes of, uh, of memory, uh, you can take more than 10 terabytes of conventional data through this compression technique. And it's not as important to understand how that works. The key thing you want to know is will I be able to take uh, you know, my applications as they are and they still can work in the uh, relational or multidimensional models that people are used to, but there are some tricks that are being done to, uh, to uh, speed the uh, access by uh, having the data already fresh and available to you in memory. And that's the goal. We want to do a BAM. We want our data delivered right now when we need it. Kevin, any thoughts on, on what Henry said um, about how this all happens behind the scenes? Anything you'd like to add on that one? Well, you know, the technology is representing a massive reduction in the complication of doing all that. It's much easier now than it was before, and you can do it with less kind of gear and greater performance, meaning, you know, you asked earlier about prioritizing this. You really don't have mm -hmm. to prioritize who has access to information. You can now easily support, you know, giant volumes of people making requests and managing data. So. It's an amazing new technology, and then when you you said it right, when you said light light step forward for people. Well, let's talk about that prioritization. Let's say that a uh, big company and twenty salespeople are in a competition. It's uh, I'm almost thinking of the policemen here who are at the end of the month quota driven system, where how many tickets can we give? But I won't won't get down to that level. So you've got twenty salespeople all over the world, and they are sitting on top of deals that are going to be amazing. And the in company in inside the company competition for who's going to come out with the best deals and sign the most business. Okay, and they all need something right this very second. How do they go about getting it? Is it, it? Do they put in a request? Do they send a make a phone call? Do they send an email? Hey, I need this in 30 seconds. These are the parameters. This is the data pull, and I have to have this answer for this customer now. How does it physically work? Well, let me just Anybody? comment, just yeah. comment uh, Bonnie, that um, you're almost saying what the way it's not going to work if you want the speed is for someone to say to send a message to IT. I need this kind of information. Could you please go to the in-memory store? I mean, that's <laughs> not going to get it much faster for them. And that's the key thing about these analytic applications. We have the data memory. That's enabling technology then for analytic applications directed at these users, making it more accessible for them to help themselves to get the information that they need. Um, so the uh, the in-memory technology in terms of how we arrange the data is the first thing. To make it widely accessible, even to your salespeople that you talked about, we need the applications that they can use themselves, and they help themselves and get the information they need by themselves, and we don't have that uh, extra loop to get someone to put it together for them. 
That's good to know. I I have these questions as not knowing anything about this, and I'm assuming that some of our listeners new to this topic would really like to know how does it all happen. So we've covered a little bit about the history. How do we get here? How is the data organized? Who has access to it? And now we know how it all happens. Now we're getting close to a break, so I want to talk about what's coming up in the next segment. And I will still have Henry Morris, Senior VP for IDC's Worldwide Software and Services Research Group, and... Kevin Cox, Senior Director for SAP, HANA Marketing, and Andrew Tesla, a Senior Economist at Oxford Economics. I'll have all of you with me. But we're going to start doing a little bit of name dropping, my friends. We're going to talk about industries, what's really happening out there in the trenches. We're going to talk a little bit about transportation, best route analysis, maybe the taxis in Japan. That might come up in conversation. We're going to talk about how utilities are using in-memory computing to balance demand and capacity. Times are tough. There's a lot going on, and everybody needs to optimize their operations and cost cut. That's how you're going to survive in business today. We're going to talk about e-commerce, what's going on in e-commerce, and we might even get to investments in banking and profitability analysis. We have so much more to cover. So, everybody, I'm going to give you three minutes off to refresh whatever you're drinking and let the sirens go by here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Breakfast with Game Changers right here on Voice America, the business channel presented by SAP. We'll see you on the other side. Email me if you have any questions in the meantime. Bye for now. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You 
You're enjoying Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. And we're back, and we're going to do some name dropping here. Maybe we'll get some case studies with big names. Maybe we'll just do anonymous case studies. But I'm talking to Henry Morris from IDC, Kevin Cox from SAP, and Andrew Tesler from Oxford Economics. Henry, you mentioned to me on the break something called Sense and Respond. What is it, and why should I pay attention to it? Sure. I think really uh, business uh Business folks, and I'm talking about line of business people, might be on the uh, on the line. Understand that uh, the pace of business is uh, faster, and uh, fast breaking events, you need to be able to respond to it. So, let's say you're a utilities company, your uh, things are going uh, pretty well. All of a sudden, there's a spike in uh, demand, which you can now sense, and then you get some kind of uh, alert. And then you also have to say, well, what can I do about it? And you may want to see mm-hmm. what is currently available. Maybe there's some power on the open market that I could be acquiring so we won't have a brownout and we'll be able to uh, continue on, the, uh, on an even keel. So the notion there is it's impossible to do this kind of thing with stale information, pre-aggregated information. I have to be able to get the uh, information. I get some kind of uh, alert. You can bring it to me, and then I have the real-time uh, view of, say, what information, uh, what uh, what power is available that I could bring in. And this uh, balancing of demand and capacity in a close-to-real-time environment fits very well within memory. You just ask yourself, if the decision window is really short and I have to respond very quickly to uh, new data, that's a good application for in-memory. Henry, you bring up something I mentioned in my long list of questions in my introduction to the show today. I asked, are lives being saved? I wasn't trying to be cute. I was asking a real question, and you've answered that because you mentioned brownouts. You mentioned electrical failures, and I know I've heard from guests on previous shows that there are some organizations that are using real-time analytics to prevent bridge failures, which, of course, could save lives if there were a bridge failure and and, uh, something collapsed. So that sounds very compelling to me. We're out of the realm of who's going to win the sales competition and who's going to get the client or the customer or win win big in their, their competitive field. We're talking about real human lives, and we're therefore we're bringing in-memory computing out to the level of helping people in their everyday lives, and I like that a lot. So let's ask Kevin Cox, would you like to give us any case studies? You're working with HANA. Any examples of, uh, I mentioned the best route analysis, utilities, anything you want to talk about in terms of what's happening in the real world with the benefits of in-memory computing? Bonnie, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. You, did yeah, just, uh, you got it, kid. Just <laughs> go for it. But you know, just to mention, since you mentioned saving lives, one of our, our first early customers, Metadata, they manage clinical trials of new drugs. So they're helping get new drugs to market faster. They're bringing together all the vast amount of information that goes into the documentation and development of the drug, making that immediately accessible to people in the field while the trials are going on, and they're speeding that process of bringing life-saving drugs to the market. So there's another great example of saving lives. Um, even here at SAP, we have adopted this technology, obviously, first and foremost. We've seen massive reductions in the time it takes us to analyze our pipeline. You know, uh, we manage 650,000 opportunities, 12 million. 
12 million records and six years of historical data. Mm. It took us two years to get a report. Now it takes five to seven seconds. This is the kind of dramatic wow. impact this technology has on your business. And that's just one report. Just think about how many reports you're going to pull over the course of the year. Probably like 100, 100 times 200. You know, you can start yeah. doing the math yourself. And you'll see, like, you're going to save massive amounts of time. Another great client, too, you know, just to, to let you know, this isn't just ref, uh, a technology for refined utilities and large businesses, but even for a manufacturer. Uh, one of our first uh, clients is Nongfu Spring in China. They're a do bottled water, and they're using this infra, uh, technology to manage or to understand all the business opportunities that are coming to them through uh, point-of-sale data from many, many different stores, data from different sales channels. And that by being able to analyze this information and understand what's going on, they can identify, like, here's our growth market, and they can get to those markets faster than their competition. They can also look at ways to manage their total production costs much more efficiently now that they have a better view of what, where the market's going and how to, how to follow that. So those are just a few. Thank you. I like those a lot. And I'm going to ask Andrew Tesler from Oxford Economics, in your study of these 525 C-suite executives for your paper, let me pull up the name of the paper again, Real-Time Business, Playing to Win in the New Global Marketplace. Andrew, any examples you'd like to share with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was interesting. Um, a company from my native, native Australia, the Australian Rail Track Corporation, is a great example uh, you know, they are using or developing a prototype real-time system for train movements, train monitoring, um, huge productivity gains coming from that. Another example is uh, the equivalent of Netflix over here, Love Film, looking at mm-hmm. uh, monitoring their customers, which films are popular, which films aren't, who's paying, who's not. You know, huge, huge benefits there, you know. So it's really important to go out and talk to these people to get an underground feel of how these systems are actually improving their businesses. Interesting. You talked about customers and and the equivalent of Netflix. I'm going to pose this question to all of you. The human side of this high-speed data mining, if you will, is that people are going to feel at some point that somebody's watching them. How did he know that I visited these three websites and I only was buying books about historical topics? How did this, this marketer know that I went to their store five times in the past month and I spent most of my time in the electronics aisle, sentiment analysis, whatever you call it? Is there a, a downside to being able to respond and market so quickly? Uh, anybody? Well, Henry, I mean, I, I, I think that uh, you put your finger on, on something. This is the, uh, the privacy issue, and uh, there are a couple of things. One is uh, you have to be aware of the, uh, the regulations. Uh, different countries have different regulations, but a key clearly is uh, being, uh, being able to uh, ensure that the uh, consumer is opting in uh, because uh, – and, and very well, they um, they may want to opt in. Especially seems this new generation coming out, they're willing to opt in and share all sorts of information. Don't have the same kinds of uh, issues. So part of this is uh, getting permission, but the other part is uh, the regulations. And uh, you know, you've got uh, many countries in, in Europe with uh, very different uh, regulations uh, about this, and that's certainly something to be aware of and uh, and take care of in this in these campaigns. Thank you, Henry. And and question is, who does this regulating? Let's just focus on the North America population right now, well, I, and, and maybe Andrew I, I can speak to what's there. happening in Australia and UK. But in North America, Henry, who does the regulating about how much people are allowed to know about us and, and the a whole opt-in, opt-out regulation? Any government agency doing that? Uh, 
It's hard to point to uh, to one blanket thing that is, uh, is is doing that, but I think that uh, we're probably on the cusp of seeing that there uh, there could well be new regulations uh, coming, and I think that it's important to uh, be able to uh, be prepared for that and uh, and bring that in, and not just for the point of view of regulation, just for the point of view of good customer relationships of uh, mm-hmm. the customer having a. Uh, you could talk about sentiment analysis. You know, if you violate uh, trust you'll be able to catch that pretty quickly in the sentiment analysis that uh, people are going to look at that adversely. On the other hand, if uh, people are opting in, then uh, uh, you won't get that uh, kind of response. And ultimately, you want to be able to, uh, you don't need a regulator to tell you that you want your customers to be uh, satisfied and respect you for the way that uh, you treat them. That's true. I, I remember when we had the advent of caller ID, and I would pick up my phone and see the name, and I'd say, hello, Mary, or hello, John, or hello, the such-and-such company. And they'd say, how did you know? People weren't, they weren't right. aware that some of us had it and some of us didn't. And there was surprise on some people's parts, and some people were delighted. You know who I am. Isn't this lovely? And other people were, wait a minute. You're not – I'm not – you don't need to know that much about me. And um, so there's, there's a lot out there where data is available. I want to ask Andrew, in the U.K., in Australia, where your bailiwick is or, your, or are, as the case may be, any kind of regulations, any pushback on all this instantaneous data availability? Well, I think it's a matter of ongoing debate in both countries, and uh, you know we'll see where that where that leads us. Um, but you know, sure, sure, there are concerns. There's pluses and minuses, as, as with any new technology, and it's important that you know the appropriate regulations are put in place. But I think that's an evolving um, evolving field. I think uh, just the same as you know, data in, in general, the internet in general, has been something societies have to grapple with. So it is with this kind of data. Yep, good point. Now, you owe me an answer, please. I asked you in the beginning to talk about your background as a law enforcement intelligence officer in Australia. What was that job, Andrew? Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give. <laughs> no, I, I, I spent several years doing that uh, after leaving university, and uh, it was a fascinating job for one of the intelligence uh, agencies there um, in law enforcement. And uh, it really does you know, broaden your horizon, you know, rather than just being an economist, rather than just being an accountant, go out and see how, you know, the other side of the world um, operates, understand how criminals are motivated, what their, you know, um, role in life, if you like, is. Um, it, it, it lets you see the other side of the coin, lets you appreciate the good and bad in society a, a lot more, in a much more rounded way. Very interesting. And how did you get into the economics field? That's a little bit of a stretch, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Well, one, one, one would, uh, you know, there are some parallels. But I think, you know, I originally studied as an economist, and, uh, you know, that's what I eventually ended up going back to. But there's a whole um, cottage industry, if you like, in the economics of crime. So there is some crossover there. Interesting. And Henry Morris, I read in your bio that you are a doctor. Tell me a little bit about your doctor degree, and uh, what's your background? Well, doctor sounds like saving lives. No, I have a doctorate in philosophy. I'm not sure I could say that that qualifies me for saving lives. Uh, well, maybe you are today with your <laughs> studies about analytics. You might be saving businesses, Henry. That's important. But you see, the uh, philosophy is all around uh, analyzing uh, issues, being very careful about definitions and classifying things. That's particularly uh, important now as you look at data, and I think particularly unstructured data. Uh, Language does have a structure, but you've got to discover it. We don't pre-impose a structure like we do in, in the relational uh, model. So I think that this uh, thinking about uh, analysis uh, in another field in philosophy helped me and uh, probably uh, caused me to gravitate into, into this field many years ago. 
Very interesting. You know, something we haven't talked about at all that maybe we can touch on when we come back from the break, we're going to be in our final segment. I don't know where the time has gone, but we're going to talk about a wrap up from each of you. But we haven't talked about the whole idea of human memory. And I know that's a struggle for a lot of people as you age, as we get busier, bombarded with data, our memory native memory, natural memory. And Henry, I know some of the early studies of memory were from the field of philosophy because I I looked it up to prepare for the show. But what's interesting is the human memory is, I guess it's the world's oldest computer. What goes in, we want it to come out and we want it instantaneously. And there are all kinds of mechanisms at work to help us keep data in that short-term area where I can say, oh, I know that actress. I saw her three months ago or three years ago. She said this line in that movie. So there's a constant in memory computing, we're living this life. This is how the human brain works. We, why don't we cover that a little bit in your wrap-ups when we come back? I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm speaking with Henry, Dr. Henry Morris, Senior VP for IDC's Worldwide Software and Services Group, Kevin Cox, Senior Director at SAP Marketing for HANA, and Andrew Tesler, former law enforcement intelligence officer, now a senior economist at Oxford Economics. When we come back, we'll do a wrap-up. We'll hear from everybody on thoughts on the future of, and I have a futuristic question for all of you. So refill those cups. You're going to need your going to need your caffeine when you come back. We'll be right back after three minutes, so don't go away. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. Thank you, Mr. Announcer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we're back with our wrap-up segment. We're going to do a roundtable here, but I have a question for my three wonderful panelists today. We have Dr. Henry Morris, we have Kevin Cox, and Andrew Tesler. My question is, if the playing field on in-memory computing ever gets leveled and every company that has the right to say we're in business, we're here to stay, small, medium, or large, if they all have access to this technology and everybody can produce data in five to seven seconds, what will we do to make it more competitive? How faster can it get for the future? So, Henry Morris, why don't you give us your wrap-up and please address that if you can? Sure. Well, I think this is uh, it's been a good discussion, and uh, indeed, uh, in-memory will become uh, more pervasive. In part, the only way I think it's going to get to those uh, small to mid-sized organizations is uh, much of this technology moves to the cloud because uh, expertise is short. The cloud, as I said earlier, consolidates expertise, and then many uh, many organizations can tap uh, into it. But that's just the uh, in-memory uh, analysis, uh, and so more companies can tap into it. But you don't. Um, you don't earn uh, money for your company by analysis alone. It's what action you take on it. Remember the idea of sense and respond. Sense, exactly. making sense out of it. And then how do you respond? How do you creatively form offers to your um, customers? You have this kind of uh, information. I mentioned the utility company. Maybe some utility companies will set up applications for their consumers so they can start making adjustments. And that's a new kind of application that could also leverage in memory. It's basically, yes, we have a platform making new things possible. What you do in your company to leverage this is really what will separate the creative companies from the ones who are just kind of keeping up. And that will continue to be a different. Exactly, and and that goes back to one of my opening questions, Henry Morris, where I said, what is the DNA of the people trying to figure out how to sift the data to create a recipe for success? That was where I was going with that. So you have touched on a very important aspect. And what do you think, futuristic, If will there be a level playing field ever where everybody can produce data so fast that it's no longer a competitive feature? Well, okay, but, but as I said, yes, we'll get to a point where people would move from the you know, disk base to, uh, to in, uh, in, in memory. That will be assumed as a feature of these applications that, uh, mm-hmm. that people will, uh, will need. But it's the applications that are the differentiators, not simply getting at data really fast. That in and of itself won't differentiate one company. But with that uh, being available, companies will be able to respond in differentiable ways that will make, uh, make, make one company successful over another. Interesting. It's going to take a lot of creativity and a lot of good game-changing DNA. Thank you, and let's turn to Kevin Cox from SAP. Parting thoughts, Kevin? You know, uh, you, you asked a question earlier about human memory and how mm-hmm. this plays. If you look at, uh, there's a great discussion going on in the academic community about Google. So much of the information now is on Google. What is that going to do to the human brain? And a lot of people look at it as it's freeing up the brain to think about more important things, to think about thinking, to think about being better, you know. And we see the same thing happening with businesses. This technology is not exclusively about speed. What it's really about is value creation. 
It's allowing people to take information and do new things with that information. It's really kind of enabling, you know, the next revolution of the digital age. We're going to move into a period of now not just basic information capture and understanding, but complex data creation and value creation out of this information. It's like a whole nother wave of, you know, economic and business development is going to come out of this technology. And it's not going to end just because everybody gets to that same level. It's only going to grow because everyone gets to that same level. Now people will bring the creativity of their business and their different strategies about how can they create new value? How can they expand the size of the total economy? Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen with this technology. It's going to be a wonderful thing when everyone's adopting this. So, Kevin, it sounds like we have the game-changing tools, the game-changing technology, and now we need the game-changing mentality of the people who can use it, leverage it, be creative with it, and grow with it to make something good come out of it. Sound good? That's absolutely right. Good, good, good. I think I, I hear a sequel show coming out of this discussion, as I like to do at the end of the show. Andrew Tesler, Oxford Economics. Parting thoughts, please. Bonnie, interesting questions. As I mentioned earlier, um, we're still some way away from every firm actually adopting real-time systems. You know, 30% of firms globally uh, say that they've adopted them. So, you know, it's a fair way in the future. I drew the parallel with electricity earlier, and um, there's another parallel you can draw, a broad one, of the Internet. You know, we got the Internet, and, you know, no one sat down and thought it up by themselves one day. It sort of evolved, and social networking, you know, didn't just evolve overnight. Someone thought, well, this is a good idea, you know. Um, let's, let's implement uh, social networking. So, you know, these things take time. Firms take time to explore what does or doesn't work, what you do with the technology, what you can't do, and so on and so forth. So I think we're a long way before, you know, from a point where every firm suddenly uh, has a, an equal sort of, um, um, you know, capacity to respond. And I think, you know, the points made earlier are really uh, important that, you know, it's how you use it and, and how you use it to get a competitive mm-hmm. advantage. That's really, really what diff- is going to differentiate firms in the future. Andrew, quick question for you. Any future plans coming up for another study on real-time business? Because that study was, and, and it's happening so fast. Any plans to revisit the executives or add another 525C executives to a new study? Always open to one if we're asked. <laughs> okay. I have to wrap now. I want to tell you what's coming up next week. I'm going to be speaking with Lauren Nelson from Forrester. Kamesh Pemaraju from the Sandhill Group and Esteban Kolsky from ThinkJar. Our topic will be, is your head in the cloud yet? And coming up in future weeks here on Breakfast with Game Changers, we'll cover topics such as social business as a game-changing technology, subsidiary integration, game-changing for corporate growth, mobility goes home for the holiday. That's going to be my day before Thanksgiving topic, and Paul Greenberg will be on with me that day. We'll be talking about information governance, then real-time analytics, we'll do a mobility manifesto, and we will do a book review on the customer edge experience. So it's just about time to say goodbye. I hope everybody's enjoyed having breakfast with me. Thank you, Henry Morris, Dr. Henry Morris. Thank you, Kevin Cox, and thank you, Andrew Tesler. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you all a great day. We'll talk to you next week right here on Breakfast with Game Changers. Thank you to Malcolm Kiberlin, a great co-producer, getting great talent on the show. Appreciate it. And everybody at SAP I work with, appreciation. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the breakfast conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.